0: Hi, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Simi Lerner. In this week's episode, we are going to be discussing two themes. On the one side, we're going to be discussing the humanistic stance of Judaism, meaning Judaism's approach to the rest of the world and how it views the rest of the world. Judaism is often known for its particularism, meaning its focus on the idea of a chosen people, an unsegulah, precious nation, a nation that has a particular and specific mission to the world. But the other side is also as important. It's universal themes. It's themes that involve the Jewish people being one in a family of humanity, with a responsibility and a role to play within the greater world in which we exist. And we see both these themes being expressed in the Bible. So holding that split in our mind for the moment, the universal and the particular, the specifically Jewish and the humanistic values that Judaism holds. Putting that to one side for the moment, there's another split that we're going to talk about. The distinction between the written and the oral law. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, in a classical Christian way, and often the way that Judaism is often characterized, is that we're very into the Bible. Well, don't get me wrong, we are into the Bible, but we are into the Bible, if you will, slightly differently than our Christian friends. Christianity has very much focused on the New Testament, as they call it, as well as the Torah, or the Old Testament, as they call it. And these texts are the focal point for the Christian community. And this is a theme I've mentioned before. For the traditional Jew, the Bible, in isolation, isn't particularly interesting. What I mean by that is the Bible, separated from the oral tradition that came along with it, that which explains, that which came hand in hand with the written law, Without that, you're not really playing traditional Judaism. For the traditional Jew, both the oral law and the written law are essential. Hence, it's always bizarre when someone puts on the table to me some quote or some idea from the written law and says my, well, what do you say about this? It's seeming bizarre, immoral, whatever it may be. And my first response is always, I was never committed to that in isolation. I'm not a Carolite. Karolite is a group of community or sort of a social experiment of traditional Jews that only take the written law as being fundamental. As a traditional Jew, I never signed up for that. I signed up for them being both held at the same time, both the written and the oral. And these two ideas are both fundamental to traditional Judaism. You drop one, we kind of have to drop the other. With that idea in mind, with that split in mind, I want to bring these two themes together. On the one side, this universal and particular theme, and on the other side, the oral and the written theme. We're very well accustomed to the universal themes and where they come up in the Bible. For example, Genesis, that unique calling of man and woman created in the image of God. We have to appreciate how radical this is from a cultural standpoint. Most traditions around the world, their creation story Their cosmogony, as it's known, their origin, their story for how the universe came about, starts with a story about their particular people. Be it Shintoism in Japan or the ancient Greek myths, they all started with the creation of their particular people. Not so when it comes to the Torah, that universal theme of man and woman created in the image of God is very unique. But that's that voice coming from a biblical perspective. In this week's parasha, we get that voice coming from the viewpoint or the voice of the oral tradition. So let's get up to speed in the narrative. The Jewish people are about to make the transition into the land of Canaan. The last stages of this journey from the exodus of Egypt all the way through the journey through the desert and now to the land that was promised to their forefathers, their homeland, the land of Canaan, Eretz Yisrael. That's where we're up to. The commandments have been discussed. The moral law of the Jewish people has been articulated. Their responsibility has been expressed. They know where they're going. They know their responsibility. And now they're about to move into the land in which they're supposed to embody this Am Kodosh, this holy nation, this nation of priests. This is where they're supposed to enact it. But before they go in, there is an interesting commandment. It's unknown, if you will, because it's not really relevant to us, but it was relevant to them. They were told to inscribe on stone the laws of the Tyre. To inscribe upon stone their law. They were told to inscribe the Tyre onto a piece of rock before they went into the land. Now, as a side point from a historical perspective, this is an idea that happens throughout many different cultures, but in a radically different way. When a culture would go and conquer another neighboring civilization, they would erect stones stela that would commemorate the war and the conquest that took place here. An interesting idea, just in sort of theme with what we discussed at the beginning of the contrast in cultures, the Jewish people's move, when they moved into a land, wasn't to talk about their conquest, was to talk about their responsibility, more of a caveat to our discussion. But moving on, they were told to inscribe upon this rock the law of the Tyra. Okay, that's, that seems, as I said, interesting from a cultural standpoint. But this is where we have the oral tradition sort of steps in and points out that the language that the Torah uses to describe the writing of this, well, this law onto this rock, the language that's used, is the words are Be'er Hative. And it should be clear. It should be understandable. But the oral tradition, the sages of the Talmud, describe this language as not to be explained or be clearly or legible. They say the language that's used is, and they parallel it in other areas of the Torah, it should be expounded upon, and in their words should be translated. They look at this event that happened here, this inscribing that took place, as not so much it had to be clearly and legibly written, but they look at it as a command to translate the Torah. that The Torah should not be written in a language that is only accessible to the Jews. Now, think about this for a moment. If they look at this idea, or they look at this commandment to inscribe the Torah onto rock, but from their point of view, the commandment's not just to inscribe it, it's to translate it, to make it accessible and understandable to other cultures that will come across it. For of Hirsch, Chazal, they're known as, the sages of the Jewish people, this oral tradition, this voice of the oral tradition is giving out that humanistic echo. Because if you are inscribing something on the stone that isn't only for you to understand, then that is a message to you, as a people, that this story isn't only about you. Because if it was only about you and your little tribe, then it wouldn't matter if other people knew about your laws. It wouldn't matter if other people knew about your responsibility. The point of translation is a message to the Jewish people, that universal message we spoke about at the beginning, that those two sides, just before this takes place, they go through their mission, they go through their responsibility. But now it ends off in that universal note from the perspective of the oral law. The oral law uses this as a vehicle to pronounce that universal message so as bookends of the Torah, on the one side we have the biblical voice of universalism at the very beginning, and then at the very end we have the rabbinic, the oral tradition's voice of the universal message of Judaism. So to recap these ideas, we had that dichotomy between the universal and the particular, as well as the split between the oral and the written, and how both are essential from a traditional standpoint. And now we look at the entirety of the Bible, with these two bookends both articulating this universal theme that is so central to Judaism. We had it at the beginning with the creation of humanity, and we have it at the end with the transition into the land of Canaan, their last destination. The idea that it has to be translated, a translation that is accessible to other people, not just the Jewish people, that other people will be aware of their mission and aware of their responsibility, but more than that, that they as a people know that it's not just about them. And it's actually quite beautiful how the pattern follows through. The oral law expresses its voice in the way the oral law comes to us by way of deduction, by way of explanation, by way of building on concepts rather than explicitly stating them. The Bible, on the other hand, explicitly states its position. And we see these two approaches or these two methodologies being pronounced here. On the first stage, as I mentioned in Genesis, it's explicitly said, the universality of humanity. But at the end, it's by way of deduction, by way of an inference. You translate things that are interesting for other people. It's a moral law that is being translated for other people to understand. The inference to the people themselves is that there are other people that are part of this story. And that really does create that beautiful Jewish character a character that can hold in both hands the particular responsibility of what it means to be a Jew, but at the same time feel part and parcel with the rest of humanity. Separate, but at the same time part of that story. That echo back from Avram Avinu, the first of the Jewish people, that was described as a ger the toyshav. A stranger, but a toshav, Someone who dwells amongst you. That spit that most cultures feel the need to choose one or the other. The Jewish people have always chosen both. We've accepted ourselves as part of humanity, but at the same time separate. I hope you enjoyed. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful week.